0: Hello, and welcome to Voices in the Field, a brand new podcast brought to you by the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research at Bryn Mawr College. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Mary Florence Sullivan. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am a doctoral student at the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research, as well as a member of the Student Support Services team. I will be your host for our very first episode. Since it is our first time chatting, let me give you a little background about what this podcast is all about. Voices in the Field was created to showcase the amazing work of our truly incredible community. We will feature conversations with everyone from GSS, WSR alums, to our wonderful faculty and staff as we talk about their journeys through social work and all the peaks and valleys they've traversed along the way. We hope this podcast gives you some insight into the many pathways a career in social work can present and will help answer some questions that might come up as we explore the field together. Let's get started. In our first episode today, we will be joined by our field education department here at the GSSWSR Dr. Kanako Akuda, our director of field education, and Tony Morelli, our assistant director. Dr. Okuda's career has centered around anxiety social work students can experience related to field education, as well as research around how to make field education trauma informed. Tony Morelli is an alum of the GSSWSR and has extensive experience supporting individuals through grief and loss. Tony is also a mindfulness practitioner and uses meditation and breathwork techniques in his clinical work. Hello, Dr. Akuda and Tony, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. To start us off, I know I just gave us a very brief introduction, but we'd love if you could introduce yourselves. So if you wouldn't mind saying your names, your pronouns that you prefer, and anything you'd like to talk about your social work interests, your research interests, or your position to get us started.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, my name is Dr. Kanako and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And, uh, well, I love being a field director because uh, this is where uh, all of us transform to become a professional helper from a natural helper. Like, helping is such a, you know, what's within us. And I love the process of uh, social work students grow and thrive and to become my future colleague in the very near future. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: And I'm Tony. I, uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm the assistant director working in collaboration with, uh, with Dr. Okuda. And uh, as you had mentioned, I'm a graduate of the program. And it's really an honor to actually kind of almost kind of come full Full circle, back around to it uh, here to the uh, to the school of social work um, in a different incarnation. And like Dr. Okuda had mentioned, um, it's really I like being a part of the process of helping students um, to acquire and move through their placements as they grow and develop into social workers. My background is especially in grief and loss, and I realized that that is not a linear process. And sometimes field placements oftentimes most likely are not linear in uh, in their process either. And so there are some skills that I feel like I bring um, as well. So I'm excited to be here. I'm, I just, i am only been here a year, um, but it's really a joy to be working alongside of Dr. Okuda in this process.
0: Thank you both so much for sharing those introductions. And I feel like talking, especially what you were just sharing Tony about, The process and how you know the linear, the non-linear process of clinical work, maybe leading to where where you are now. Um, If you could both talk about, it's a nice segue into our next, our first question. If you could both talk about your own journeys that brought you to our School of Social Work. So, what what was the journey that brought you here? What was the journey that brought you to to the GSSWSR?
1: So, um, what brought me here is because of the school, Brinmark Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research. And this is where I strongly feel that where I can practice the way I have always wanted to practice um, field directorship. The culture of the school, geographic location, and then also I have such a privilege working with Tony, we, we enjoy our work together the most of the time we laugh. <laughs> and I will share with you a little bit more about that. And I was born and raised in Tokyo, Japan. And I moved to United States all by myself uh, in my early 20s as a dancer. And that's where I landed in AIDS epidemic without knowing what. Well, this was going on. And somehow I thought that tragedy like AIDS will pass me by, but I would not have to experience anything sad in my life. That's my big naivete. Maybe I spoke 50 words of English. As a dancer, you don't really have to speak English to really get by. And that so one thing led to another, which we'll have opportunity to share more in the future. I was looking for myself in a foreign land. And uh, I was also looking for a career that I can grow as I practice. And social work is a career that is almost like a calling in a way that every day, as i practice i feel like i am becoming the purpose of my life path so that's why i'm here
2: thank you dr akuda um, and it's ironic because um, i mean i am not an immigrant <laughs> i grew up not far from Bryn um so what i bring is i think is very different in some ways than what you bring dr Okuda. Um, and yet as far back as I can remember, um, but one of the values that I grew up with, I think from my parents and also from my spiritual tradition was this idea of being a, a helper and how to do that. Um, and as you say, Dr. Okuda, it's being a helper within the context of being a social worker is different than just being a a general helper. They both have very important values, but it's different Mm -hmm. when we put it into the context of social work values and ethics. Mm -hmm. And so my original career um, was as a high school teacher and I taught social studies and foreign language. And I realized um, at a certain point that while that was important to me and there was the value of helping was in there, I realized that um, I wanted to do a little bit more for um, the students that I taught, and I realized some of their needs were beyond what I could do in terms of the context of teaching in the context of a classroom environment. And so I actually did um, transition into working in the nonprofit sector even before I came, even before I went back to school for social work. And what I noticed, I was working around a lot of social workers, not uh, and with them. Um, doing um, something a little bit different than, than actual social work. But I was struck by um, a certain, certain of my colleagues, I was very, very struck by their competence as professionals and also their confidence. And one of the things that I noticed that was common among those individuals was that they attended the school. <laughs> and so um, I was inspired to uh, then um, to apply to, um, to the school, Um, and did graduate in 2011. And so um, I reflected on it and I thought, actually, I think I would like working with students. I would like the privilege um, of facilitating processes for students that that I found very helpful um, when I was here. Um, And so um, that's really kind of what led me and it's almost kind of like a coming home for me in a certain fashion that uh, my social work career really kind of started here as a student and this is where I am now again today. Thank you
0: both for sharing. And there's just so much, I think, whenever we talk to other social workers or or share with other colleagues about how much of our past experiences and our lives really bring us to our work and to this point and how much we draw on those past experiences and our own histories and our own journeys. So I really appreciate you sharing a lot about your own past experiences, not only within the field of social work, but beforehand and what got you to this place. And I know a lot of our students are thinking about what their field experience is gonna mean. We have people who are coming straight from undergraduate. We have people who are maybe changing careers and coming into the field of social work for the first time. After a long career in another in another area, we have people who've worked maybe in social work or social services before coming back to school. So we have people coming with all of these really amazing and beautiful experiences and bringing them to their work here at the school. So if you could maybe talk a little bit about your roles within the field education department and share, if you wouldn't mind, what some of the current challenges that you think um, are currently in field education. So what are some of the current challenges in, in field education?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to share this. So there was a struggles regionally and nationally. Uh, so that's always uh, related to social policy. So many weeks ago, when I was a social work student, there are more financial aids available. And uh, there are not many social work students in the United States. That was 2000. So nowadays, uh, so there are so many social work programs within the United States. That's a wonderful thing. We need more social workers. Uh, That being said, um, field educational structure and model has not changed much since 1970. So currently, the volunteer model of a field education where field uh, field instructors are volunteers to the school of social work to host students and to become a field instructor. So students will go to field practicum and learn to serve and to serve while learning uh, without being compensated. And uh, uh, this this is a social justice issue where social work education, historically social work education uh, was afforded by uh, a socioeconomically comfortable, mainly uh, people of European descent, uh, female who may or may not have to work for their living while they are attending school. However, I am very delighted to know that our students' life are more um, diverse, uh, and also life priorities are diverse. And I wonder if field education uh, system has not caught up with that change. And I do struggle now. Uh, in many ways that some of the social work work, work requirements are still catering to middle class to upper middle class, people of European descent, whose English is a first first language and uh, have a very um, perhaps specific exposure to uh, people's struggle, and this is the main uh, challenge that I experience. Because how do, how do field educational office uh, negotiate and am- ameliorate the tension between the community and ivory tower of academia when even the students are in between? So that's the, yeah, that's the sort of main, I struggle i am thrilled to be struggling with thank you tony what do you think
2: uh as i again i'm relatively new to this um but i I, and i kind of i started in this work um, in field education in the middle of an ongoing pandemic um and so something that's very immediate to me, is looking at and seeing, even over the course of the last year, how the pandemic has um, impacted um, students, how it's impacted faculty, how it's impacted staff, how it's impacted agencies, how it's impacted field instructors, how it's impacted field instruction. (laughs) Um, All of that um, has been rather confusing for, I think, everyone involved. and I know some of the, um, some of the challenges that, that agencies are facing is how to provide services still in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, it looks very different than it looked two and a half years ago or two years ago, um, but it's still very real, it's still very present. Um, how do students manage that? How do students manage some of the, um, some of the losses that have been experienced throughout the pandemic, whether those might be death-related losses or other types of losses, whether it's loss of social connection, um, loss of instruction, or loss of types of instruction that students might find helpful. Um, And then even just, uh, you know, the great resignation (laughs) that's happened um, recently, I feel like that has impacted agencies and then that has filtered down into Um, what agencies are capable of providing for our students in terms of supervision, in terms of experiences um, that might be helpful uh, for them in terms of their learning goals. And yet at the same time, in some ways, the pandemic I feel like has forced us to become a little bit more creative in how do we serve clients, how do we manage service provision How do we engage in in field education? How do we provide students with opportunities um, for providing social work and social work um, practice in ways that are going to work in the midst of a pandemic for those who may be at most at risk during a pandemic as well? So I think there are challenges Immediate challenges, and yet also ways that we can look at that, uh, in terms of what the pandemic has provided, and um, for us to kind of look at how can we be create how can we creatively respond to some of these challenges.
0: Wow! Thank you. Those were both really beautiful reflections. I really. Appreciate to Dr. Kudo what you said about how students are kind of sitting in this tension between what higher education and I think you said the ivory tower of academia feels like and looks like versus what community agencies or or the needs of wherever our students are serving um, or are are in their field position and i I just really appreciated the way you laid that out because there is this tension there, and students are kind of in the middle of that, and simultaneously as Tony said. We are still in the midst of a pandemic and there's so much loss for students, not only within their own lives, but also the lives of the agencies that they're working in and supporting. And also there's this bizarre opportunity for creativity within that, especially within the field of social work and especially how we support and collaborate with communities. So I feel like you both really beautifully laid out these challenges that also as um, as Dr. Akuta said, they also are providing this opportunity for us to, to work in right now, which is pretty incredible. So thank you both for that. And just thinking more about how our students might be sitting in this place of both stress and anxiety, but also creativity and opportunity. There is definitely a lot of anxiety there and a lot of unknowns, especially people coming to the field for the first time or coming into field education for the first time. And at the GSSWSR, as a school, we're very committed to trauma-informed approaches throughout our academic curriculum, student support services, and, of course, our field education curriculum. And the field field environment can be very stressful for students as new social workers, as we've been talking about. So how, and you both mentioned this a little bit, but how do you understand trauma-informed social work? within the context of field
1: education. Thank you for that. Well, in field education, like I mentioned about history of the field education and how it was done before. And I can talk to my colleagues and including myself, field education process and experience were very traumatic for me in both BSW and MSW. And it doesn't have to be that. And in field education, I can say this uh, with humility that uh, many of us, including myself, because we feel busy and fatigued, we have a tendency to do things because it's been that way. So, this is where I would like to say, like, wait a minute, how come? How come? Question of how come? Ask a question. It doesn't have to and so, um, many studies show, that, as social workers. What bring them, what, what brought us to social work, is because uh, many people report that we want to be the person we wish we had when we needed help. And it was a hush hush when I was a student, though I humbly admit that I became social worker initially to find myself. And during the process, I have grown to be to be able to help people adequately and then to also share knowledge, skills, and experience. So in trauma-informed um, approach to field education is a collaboration. Although, what, you know, what Tony said, you know, in we may or may not have so many field placement opportunity readily available, like in a pre-pandemic because of the change in social service agency personnel or so many other factors that might provide, uh, that might sort of give us some challenges. Though We, as a field education office, Tony and I uh, really, um place importance in relationship and respect of each other's sort of intersecting identities and motivations and embrace all of that and, uh, you know, to look at sort of create in terms of instead of like policy. Is kind of we impose policy on the individual policies are important, important. So we will look at how it applies to each individual, and situation, and their identities and the positionality, and all that. So just that you know, there. That's how we would like to practice as much as we can. And we would like students to be part of, to feel like they're part of the process. It is very challenging for most of our students, and they need to commit to social service agencies before they even take one social work class. That is very, you know, it's the next nine months of your life, mm-hmm. basically. So we do appreciate that, and we will work with that. And uh, yes, as a as a person, as a human being, yes, I do sometimes feel like gee, I wish I had a have fish animal, sort of bad way, <laughs> or, or, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, sometimes I do feel that. Mm-hmm. So, um, how can you say? So this is, in the spirit of a collaboration, the student and the field education office working together, that gives us sort of opportunity for healing within the process. So that's what, I, you know, if you, Tony, if you could add
2: more to it, that would be great. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this is it's such a rich question and such a valuable question. So thank you for asking it. Um, and I think this is where, I mean, I know we have incorporated, um, you know, a trauma-informed approach, approaches in, our, uh, in the academic sphere. And so this is where, as we say, the rubber meets the road. When you go into the field, this is where we take what we, you know, what we learn in the academic sphere and and actually put it into practice. Um, And so I think a big piece of this in terms of um, our field education being trauma informed is um, having students have the time to reflect on how their field placements may be be impacting them within the context of being in school, within the context of possibly having a family, within the context of potentially um, also working at the same time, um, and within the context of living, again, I know I said this before, but living through a pandemic. And so there's lots of all of these contending interests that are working and there may, you know, that, that are around and within students. And so I think um, the time to reflect on how is the placement, how is the work actually impacting us, impacting you, the student, and what do we do with that so that um, students themselves are not kind of re traumatized or experience the vicarious trauma um, in, um, in the face of actually working with those who are suffering um, and sometimes very, very direly suffering. Uh, And so I think a big piece of being trauma-informed is working with students and encouraging students to reflect and also engage in, you know, self-care practices. And I know that's a big buzzword today. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of it, but self-care goes beyond like getting a massage or getting a facial. That's a very as Dr. Okuda mentioned earlier, that's a very you know upper middle class kind of approach to self care. And again, I'm not knocking any of that <laughs> for people for whom that works. And you know, I, you know, good massage is great for me. I love it. But really, when we go a little bit deeper or a lot deeper, what does self care actually mean? How do we, as a profession that deals with trauma, suffering, death—you um, know, injustice—at uh, in, uh, a personal level, at an a systemic level, how do we metabolize all of those things? Really, almost through our bodies, and through our psyche, and through our emotional lives, and our and our uh, and our and our in our personal lives and our professional lives so that we're not re-traumatized and so that we don't wind up re-traumatizing the the folks that we work with inadvertently and unintentionally, of course. Um, And so I think it takes a daily, so a trauma-informed field, (laughs) I think it takes daily um, commitment to what do we do for ourselves, even when we're feeling good. It's like, it's a maintenance plan. On the days that are going well, it doesn't mean I don't breathe. That doesn't mean I don't take a walk. It doesn't mean I don't take a break. It means I do that even if things are going well for me um, or even in when days when I'm not in the field. Um, and, and so I think it's kind of creating a culture of what does self-care mean? How do we do it? And why it's so important in terms of not only field, but also our professional development so that we can carry these practices like long after we've graduated, so that they become part of our practice. And really, I feel like it becomes part of ethical practice because if we are not, uh, if we're falling prey to vicarious trauma, um, it puts our ethical practice at risk. And so really self-care is part, in my view, is part of ethical practice. And I think it's really something important to kind of incorporate into, into field education.
1: Can I add to that? Please, Dr. Yeah, I love the way you said that. So, you know, sometimes, well, when I was, many a ago when I was a student, I thought that clients' appreciation of my work or clients' uh, improvement of whatever the concern that they came to me with would give me a deeper meaning to my work. But that that's not, it doesn't work that way. For example, I was a pediatric oncologist and a social worker in New York City. And no matter how hard I worked, or no matter how much doctor try, sometimes in the middle. Uh, and so uh, this is something I would really like to share with incoming students, that there needs to be a pill that fuel your sort of like soul. And to continue helping, continue serving, and continue learning. So that that source of your emotional reward cannot come from your client. If it comes, that's nice. However, we need to still be there for our clients. Even though sometimes, I hope not so often... They never want to speak to us ever again. Regardless of the out, you know, uh, our outcome of a working process, we still need to be there for them. Mm-hmm. So that's why the says self-care is very important. So we can choose the way we take care of ourselves. And self-care is an approach, uh, in, in, in which the way we carry ourselves, through our work. So some of my some, some of my, like myself like who really have only one job at a time <laughs> will say, you know, okay, so let me let me approach this with a more, more deep breathing. Let me approach this with uh, kindness in my on my mind. Let me approach this today, let me approach today with having ten minutes in between Zoom meetings without being late. That's, that's a tough one. But anyway, so something like that. So it won't cost us anything, but to know that self-care is an mind.
0: Yeah, and I think both of you also kind of touched on how self-care as a practice that's just part of your daily routine or your daily life is also an has an element of community care as well because you're supporting yourself but it's also in a way supporting your connection to your colleagues supporting your connection to the the people that you're supporting at the agency that you're working at or the school that you're working at so there's a a connection there between self-care and community care that i think you both really laid out beautifully and just as Kind of segue into we're, we're, we're wrapping up here soon, but I know you both have fabulous resources, so I don't know if Dr. Akuta, if you wanted to talk about the field anxiety website and Tony, if you wouldn't mind sharing some because we've talked a lot about the importance of self-care and managing anxiety, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the breathwork techniques, just where people could find them maybe that, things that you've used or that you find useful to share with students.: Thank you.
1: So, com is a website that I created as a part of my doctoral work <laughs> using website to offer st- uh, social work students to just place to kind of go. For example, I could share this with you. When I was a social work student, uh, maybe 3 a.m., uh, where I have nobody to talk to, My friends in California are already in bed. So, and um, can't we call my family in Japan to explain everything in another language from A to Z square. So I thought about that. And what did I wish I wanted? So I created this website for questions. Some of the questions. You you know, it. The, those types of information may or may not be something that exactly what you're looking for. However, it's my hope that our students and you use new incoming students who our social work students will use that as a tool where we can try we can transform our vulnerability into a learning tool. So when we feel anxious, it is actually Good thing that we are anxious, so so what we can do is how to embrace that. And what is that? What makes me feel anxious and to really sit with that and have a supportive voice, voices uh, through a website, or maybe that might inspire to talk to, uh, you know, come to us in field education or office to process some thoughts and questions. So that's, that's, that's why I wanted to share that with all of you. And I appreciate your suggestions. I'm kind of overdue of updating that website. So I appreciate your suggestions and then maybe additional pages. So yes, that's. Thank you. And
0: we're going to link to that resource in the Podcast bio, so people can access it pretty easily. And Tony, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the resources that you think are useful as well, which we can also link to if, if if need be.
2: Sure, of course. Well, again, I would I would put Dr. Okuda's at the top of the list because it really <laughs> it's excellent. Number one, and number two, it really uh, relates directly to students in the field. And and as I went on it, um, even before Dr. Okuda arrived here. Um, I realized that it, um, I know you designed it for students, but I was like, oh, I think Dr. Okuda really meant for this to be for anybody anywhere in their social work career. I'm like, because I can use all of this. So I, re- I highly recommend that. A couple of others. I, I am a big um, proponent of um, breath work. I think it's something that um, is very, very natural. It's very organic. It's almost, um, in its simplicity, um, it can be dismissed sometimes, um, and uh, b- but it's also ancient. I mean, it's not, people see it as kind of this new agey kind of thing. It's really not. I mean, Tibetans used it thousands of years ago as a, as a means of healing. Um, I think a, a couple of websites that I might recommend, um, one is Andrew Wiles. He's an integrative doctor of integrative medicine. It's, Doctor, it's D-R-W-E-I-L.com, I believe. He's out of New Mexico. He's at the University of oh, I'm sorry, the University of Arizona. Um, lots of techniques on there. Another website that I would um, that I use myself, because a lot of the stuff on it is free, which is really nice. is <laughs> um, it's, it's called pausemeditation.org. It's P-A-U-S-E- M E D I T A T I O N dot org, pause meditation org. There are some things that are, you know, you have to buy, but there is a lot, a lot, a lot of free, um, um, very short breathing meditation. Some are only three minutes, some are seven or ten or fifteen. Um, but I realized that slowing down and pausing. Um, when I worked with adult men in recovery, I didn't use the word meditation necessarily. I called them breathing exercises and we would do them for one to two minutes and they would report lots of great results in the groups, the groups that I led just from two minutes at the beginning and two minutes at the end. And I would just gently guide people through a breath medic, a breath exercise. Um, and then the last, So they, so it's the way of couching it. So sometimes it doesn't have to be long and drawn out more elaborate. It can be very, very simple. The last website that I would really recommend too, because I think it um, directly relates to the work that we do, um, is by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky, who's amazing. She has a book called Trauma Stewardship. Her website is also the same. It's traumastewardship.com. And she goes through a lot of just podcasts and information Um, and suggested practices on there for those of us who work um, in the field of trauma. And um, she's very much about how do we kind of work with um, the anxieties, as Dr. Okuda mentioned, and how do we uh, make sure that we are kind of caring for ourselves so that we kind of can keep vicarious trauma kind of contained so that we can practice ethically. So those are the resources that I would definitely kind of recommend and that I use myself personally and professionally.
0: Thank you so much. I have one more question before we wrap up. If you and you both kind of shared some thoughts on this earlier in our conversation, um, so reflections on those thoughts are also welcome. But if you could just share as our students are kind of coming into the new academic year, thinking about going into either a school or a hospital or a community-based agency, if you could just talk about what you think equity in field education or in field work means to both of you.
1: Equity? Equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Equity and inclusion. That's a, that's a process to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can I say? We break like our faces. Are not identical for most people. Right? Uh, All of our path is different, and diverse equity and inclusion is something that we, as administrator, social work, education institution, is to always keep in mind, and, and to strive for to do a better job every day. And I think that so it's empathy. Equity and inclusion is only possible when we can empathize. So how to be empathetic? How can we practice empathy? So practice empathy is active birth. It's an act of empathy. It's to really learning about ourselves. That starts with our intersecting identity. So how can I be empathetic to you, Tony? For example, as uh, I I'd identify as an Asian woman, cisgender female of a certain age—I will skip that detail. Yeah. Um. And oh, how will everybody <laughs> wonder, right? Yeah. And if you are feeling, if Tony, when you are feeling some, uh, some, some feel something, maybe some sort of pain in your heart or something as I see you as a you know male person and then it's other interesting other identity and your experience that I can only empathize as me to embrace my so, so that I can sit with you and stay with your pain the mm-hmm. uh, witness to your pain but, but you know if I don't do that perhaps I might be preoccupied with my own story and won't be able to relate to yours, and that's not empathy. So that's how I would like to, um, as much as I can, sometimes I do empathy better than the other day. Uh, and to, that's why so um social justice and part, looking at power dynamics and how power and privilege may manifest intentionally or as an impact to see that. And you know, Tony and I, I'm so I know grateful working with Tony that we talk about mm-hmm. the, the impact of a power and a privilege, uh, all, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. How do our actions and decisions or communication impact that? So that's one of the many ways. That we and I feel that uh, I, as a director of field education, in partnership with Tony, uh, strive to practice, strive to achieve.
2: I don't really know if there's much to add to your eloquence, Dr. Okuda, especially. And I value, um, I so I and I've said this before, and I will continue to say it. (laughs) Value um, my. our, our ability to collaborate together because i think um and i was excited to know when you were hired <laughs> for all of um all of what you bring to this uh to the field and to the school and to our students and to me as a supervisor um in terms of your experience um, as an immigrant as an english as not a native english speaker um as a woman, you know as a as a practitioner, as an administrator, all of those things. Um, and so I think and this is where I, i'm gonna I go back to the self-care piece um, because I really think about um, what Native Americans would call this kind of the uh, the kind of the universal web that connects us all. and we know that there are parts of that web or I think Martin Luther King called it the, gar- the the garment of single garment of destiny. There are parts of the garment, parts of the web, that are not intact. We know that. We live with that, um, and really, um, in order for us to actually kind of um, make reparations and repair the web or repair the garment, uh, we have to tend to our own parts of that. Um, if my part of the garment is a too tight or too tightly wound or is too loose or coming unspooled, um, I'm not gonna be able to uh, use empathy. I'm not gonna be able to relate to someone who may look or be different from me, um, but also I won't be able to see where our paths actually intersect um, and and what the commonality is so that I can actually um, vibrate at the same level as that person. And so I think tending to our to our own parts of the web, our own parts of the garment is so vital um, to healing all of those pieces of the garment that personally and structurally um, are not totally intact. But as Dr. Okuda said, it's a process. Um, and that's how uh, I think um, equity and inclusion you know, get incorporated into field education is to realize um, that we are connected. There are ways that we are that we are intimately and inherently connected to others um, who uh, may have completely different life experiences than ourselves and to welcome that experience. And that's the challenge, I think, part of the challenge of our profession is to um, to understand um, what do we hold in common, um, even with people that maybe have very, very different life experiences from our own.
0: Thank you. That was such a beautiful way to end our first podcast. Um, Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share before we finish up?
2: No. We're very grateful that you asked us (laughs) to do this podcast. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here. And where can students find you or how can they get in touch with you before the fall 2022 semester? I can include your emails in the bio as well but where would you like people to find you?
1: Please, we are on the first floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in room 103 and you are
2: the I'm three. room 108. Yeah. So you can find us in person there.
1: Yeah. Yay. Yes, I look, I, look, I look forward to meeting you all. Yes. Thank you both so much. And we'll see
0: you on campus very soon. Thank you. Thank but you.
2: Thank you. For the thank
0: Thank you so much for tuning into the very first episode of the Voices in the Field podcast. And a huge thank you to our field director here at the Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research, Dr. Kanako Okuda and Assistant Director of Field Education, Tony Morelli. You can access Dr. Okuda's amazing resource, fieldanxiety.com, as well as all the resources Tony Morelli talked about by finding them linked in this episode's description. We are grateful to our supporters Springpoint Partners for providing the funding that has made this podcast possible. Have an idea for an episode? Email us at GSSWSR at That's GSSWSR at Thanks for tuning in and see you in the community.